Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. This is part two of our series called Ideal Family. Men, how many you know? You're really, really close to that first guy, aren't you? You're just right there. It's so weird. Anyway, uh, last week we kicked off this brand new series. If you were not here, please, you can go watch online or grab a CD in the back. I think we have last week's CDs out there as well as you can always pick up this week's message for free as well. You can download the podcast. There's all kinds of ways to listen. I would say last week would be really important for you to listen to because this series is definitely going to build a little bit. And last week, just to give you a a, a brief summary, is, is we talked about that there's this weird thing that when you look at the Bible, you would think that there's all these great families in the Bible that you can go and glean from. Like these amazing families, you'd be like, yeah, we should be like Abraham. And you forget Abraham sold his wife. Uh, and then you're like, oh, well, maybe we could be like, like Jacob. And you're like, you don't know, no, you know, I don't want to tell Jacob's story. Or, you know, maybe we should be like David. And you're like, oh my gosh, you have never seen a soap opera drama. I mean, it's painful, painful, awful. And you, and you start noticing like, wait a minute. There's no great families in the Bible. Even Jesus' family, eh, you know, Jesus, they lost Jesus for three days. So if you've ever lost your kid, you probably never lost him for three days. And, and therefore, you're better than Jesus' parents. And so my, my point is that there's not a lot of great people to look to. But then when you get into the New Testament, Jesus starts teaching these incredible ideals And then the Apostle Paul even jumps on and says, this is what that would actually look like. And here's the point that I want to get to show you is that Jesus was fully aware, because he read the Old Testament too, that there were a bunch of real families. But regardless of the fact that your family is real, it is real crazy, real dysfunctional, real weird at times, you're in it. So it's partially weird just because based on you. So, so, So they were fully aware of this, but I want to get you to see this, is that Jesus never once backed off of the ideal. He never surrendered the ideal. He never started making excuses for the real and saying, well, that's okay. It's not a big deal. It's because of your mom. You know, he didn't, he didn't do all of that. He kept pointing you towards an ideal. And the reason why that's so important is this, is that ultimately if you surrender God's ideal, what you end up surrendering are two major things that you don't want to give up in life. The first thing is this, you're just going to miss out on God's best. Because you'll keep settling for less than. You'll keep settling for, for all kinds of bad decisions and bad ideas. And you'll just start saying, and you'll miss out on God's best for your life. Now, here's the other thing. Because that, that, some of you don't even care about that one. But this is one you do care about. If you're a parent in here, if you surrender that ideal, do you know that not only are you surrendering God's best for your life, but what you're actually doing is you'll end up setting up your children for failure. And I know that that pains, if you're, if you're just a decent parent, you know, and this is what I'll know, is that you all say the same thing. You say, I want my kids to have better than what I had, or I want my kids to have a greater experience and a greater life or a greater marriage or a greater whatever. I want them, why? Because we love our kids, so we want them to have better. Everybody say better. But the very notion of better is, is I'm here in the real and there's something above that that has to be more ideal than that. And that's the point I'm trying to make is this, is that Jesus taught and pointed towards an ideal. And then even in the midst of that, he refused to condemn those who fell short of it. That's why the Bible says that Jesus was full of both grace and truth. So Jesus gave the truth of this great ideal, knowing we would mess it up at times. He said there's grace for when we fall short of that. 
And this is ultimately the, the deal. When we look at the New Testament and we look at how these guys pointed towards this idea, we looked at four kind of specific areas, and these are the specific ones that we looked at last week. We looked at husbands, wives, children, and then something back to your kids as parents. And this is, this is the ideal. So if you ever wondered, what is God's perfect family, ideal family look like? This is it. Are you ready? Husbands, love your wives and be considerate. That's it. No no amens from the ladies. Okay. Um, wives, submit to your husbands. Yeah, see, I, say, I, knew, I knew a guy was dumb enough, <laughs> dumb enough to say that. Um, I love you. See, there's grace. There's grace even when you fall short. Um, children, obey your parents. And all the parents are like, good Lord, Todd, can we do a series on that? And, and, and so that's children, obey. And then, and then lastly, fathers, don't exasperate your children, and this is, well, this is what I admitted that, like, is a hard time for me, because when you get into exasperating your children, what you're saying is probably right. You're just wrong about how much you're doing it, how intense or how hard or how long it goes, and I, I fall short in this area. And so this is the ideal that God points us to. And if we could all get here, man, this would be an incredibly awesome family experience. Now, let me ask you a question, because we're going to talk about one of these today. I thought I'd just go ahead and make, make myself miserable and take on the hardest one. So what do y'all think the hardest one is? The least popular, the least politically correct, the one wives won't like, that one. What, which one? Wives. Yeah, wives submit to your husbands. Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today, and it is going to be awesome. I promise you, it's going to be awesome. Um, all the men were like, it's going to be awesome. Hold your, hold your tongue. You might not like it when it's all said and done. Um, here's, now, let me show you where... Now, these, these ideals are all taken from multiple verses coming out of Peter and Paul, these two apostles that wrote large parts of the New Testament. Now, here's what you need to know about these guys, is that Peter and Paul were looking at the teachings of Jesus, and Jesus taught these radical things. And so, so Jesus was all about the ultimate ethic of love. Everybody say love. So he, would, he was asked, like, hey, what's the biggest deal in all the Bible? I mean, what's the real point? He goes, it's simple. You love God with all your heart, and then you love your neighbor as yourself, which, by the way, your spouse is, is included as your neighbor. I know she doesn't live next door. He doesn't live next door, but it's, it's still neighbor. It's person next to you, that kind of an idea. Your kids, it's all lumped in. And so he says these radical things like love your neighbor as yourself, like love other people the same way that you would want to be loved. Now, how many of you admit, like, that's kind of hard because I love me a lot, and I don't know that I love you like I love me. I love, I love me a lot. I never bought you an iPad. I bought me an iPad. So I, that's the way I feel. So Jesus gives this incredibly difficult command of loving your neighbor as yourself. And then he has the audacity to double down on it and make it even harder. Because this is what he says later. He says, this is near the end. He goes, guys, gather around. He's talking to the disciples. He goes, I'm going to give you a new command. And we're like, oh, great. Uh, you already made it hard enough. What's the new command? He goes, this new command that I give to you is I want you to love one another just as I have loved you. Now, that's different. Let me, let me tell you why it's different. It sounds similar, but think for a moment. The first command was hard enough because it was love you like I love myself. But sometimes I, 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 you know, I self-loathe or sometimes I beat myself up or sometimes I'm not great to myself or, or whatever. And I, you know, even that is, has got its imperfections. But Jesus says, I want you to love one another like I have loved you. And by the way, I loved you perfectly. 
I loved you completely selflessly. I loved you in a way that no one else could compare. I gave my life and died for you. That's how much I loved you. I want you to go and love one another just like that. And you're like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to do this? And the, and the answer is it's impossible to do it outside of God in you. And it's, that's a different sermon, but, but let's stay on point here. So Peter and Paul are looking at these love messages, these love commands, these love sermons, and they're like, okay, well, what does that look like then? Because we, you know, in the context of family, because it's one thing to like make a big broad statement like love your neighbor as yourself or love others as I have loved you. What does that look like inside of a real context? Because that just sounds euphoric, like big picture stuff. What does it look like when I go into my driveway, pull in, go into the house, shut the door, and then all of a sudden this is the real? And that's what he was pointing to. So when he gets into these fathers do this, mothers, wives, all this stuff, that's where these guys were coming from. Now, this is the verse that that comes from, that whole wives submit to your, to your husbands. Watch this, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Which I guess if you said, well, I don't really submit to the Lord that well. Um, so, I'm, you know, I, I don't know how you process that one, but... but the principle was, is that wives ought to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, here's the thing that I want to show you. Because I have people mess this up all the time. I had a guy, a young man, loved the Lord, loved Jesus, loved his family, all that good stuff. And he came to me and he had an ornery wife. And he was like, look. And he was, I was, he was talking to both me and my wife at the same time. And he was like, Tara Lee, will you please talk to her? Because, because like... The Bible says wives should submit to their husbands. She ought to just do what I tell her to do. Will you, will you talk to her about this? And it was the funniest thing. Me and my wife are laughing out loud. So whenever you guys go to use this Bible verse, let me just rearrange your brain real quick. What's the first word in the verse? Y'all are nervous. Like, okay, let's try that again. What's the first word in the verse? Okay, so who is he talking to? Husbands, was he talking to you? No, so you should go read those other scriptures that start with the word husbands because this verse, he wasn't talking to you. So this did not become ammunition for your agenda. This is something where you're like, I don't, that ain't my verse. So all you do is you just sit back like, that ain't my verse. I don't, I got none to, I don't, I don't touch that one. Okay, it's too high. I don't, I don't touch that one. That's for her to read. The Holy Spirit can work on her. But, everybody say but. There's an even bigger issue going on in play here. Now, how many of you actually have a real Bible in your lap right now? Okay, if you open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5, most modern Bible translations, these guys have editors. So if you looked at the, the beginning, you could find out who the editor Now, they didn't edit the words of Jesus, but what they did was is they put in all kinds of footnotes. They maybe put in commentary beforehand. They many times did this, and this, is, this was a mistake in this instance at least, is they would put headers. So they would take maybe like a group of verses, and then they would just put a header in there to help you kind of gather the summary of what's about to be said. And if you look at your Bible, the vast majority of Bibles that have any type of header, they put a header right above this verse. Now, I don't know what your header says, but, but I, I can look at mine. There's, and that was a mistake. And I'll tell you that was a mistake. When Paul was writing, he did not put a header. It was just kind of one. I, let me just help you quick here. When Paul wrote, it was one continuous letter. There was no chapter. There was no verse. And there was no header. 
Are you with me so far? And the editors made a mistake, in my opinion, because they all put a header in between verse 20 and verse 20, or verse 21 and verse 22. Now, back up real quick. I want to show you what verse 21 says. Verse 21 says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Okay, now if you put a header there, you get the idea that there's like a break in thought. Like maybe this was the end of some previous thoughts. And then he's starting fresh. Okay, wives, I need to talk to you. Let's get this going. Wives, submit to your husbands. But this is an incorrect way to think about it because really what you'll find is this is that this is the beginning of an entire new series of thoughts. This really is the start of everything when it comes to family. Let me say that again. This verse is the start of everything when it comes to family. So this is what it is. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then what he does is, so if you really want to look at it, this would be an overarching statement. And then what he does is he goes to wives and he helps them apply that. And then he goes to husbands and he helps them apply that. Then he goes to children and he helps them apply that. And then he goes all the way back around. Are you, are you hearing me? So who's supposed to submit to who? Everybody. All the dudes are like, dang, man, why you got to be Bible ninja me like that? Here's my point, is that really when you look at it, is that ideal families, this is the real ideal, ideal families practice mutual submission. This is the start of everything ideal about a family, is that everybody is in the family thinking. How can I surrender my power, my time, my resources, my influence for the better of the other people in my home? That's mutual submission. Because you've got stuff, right? You've got power and influence. and all. You've got all this stuff. And what you're coming to the table as a dad saying is how can I love my wife sacrificially, honor her, respect her, be considerate of her, and bring all of my goods to the table? For the betterment of her and the betterment of those kids and the betterment of whatever. How, wives, how can you surrender and submit all of your time and money and resources and energy and goods for the betterment of your husband and your kids? How can you do that? And really, again, what you see is this, is that he just has a unique application of a larger idea that we'll call mutual submission. Are you with me so far? Now, I want to I just you something. When he said mutual submission, he says this. This is verse number 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I, I need you to get this idea. That, that, that ladies, he didn't say submit to your husbands because they're worthy of you submitting them to. Why did you, my wife just laughed at that. Oh, listen here, giggles, we'll talk later. Um, husbands, he didn't say love your wives sacrificially like Christ loved the church because she was always beautiful rolling out of bed and always in a cheerful attitude. <laughs> he didn't say love your wife sacrificially because she never ruined a dinner. She, he, <laughs> wives, he, he didn't say submit to your husband because he was always in a good mood and always thoughtful of you and the kids. and was in, He doesn't say that. Because what he's trying to do is to get each individual to play their role regardless of what anybody else is doing because somebody's got to start somewhere, somehow to get this ball rolling. Now, I find it funny, too, that he usually starts with wives. Peter does the same thing because if anybody's going to get this thing started, usually it's the wife because um, they're better. So, 
That's just my opinion. I don't know. That's just, this, is, this is my observations about life. But generally speaking, I think that's true. And so what I'm telling you is this, is that we practice mutual submission, not because they deserve it or they're always worth it or they're always perfect, but because of out of reverence for Christ. And here's what you need to get to see about this idea, this reverence for Christ idea, is that Jesus modeled this. Like, like this wasn't something that Jesus just said, here's a good idea, you should try it. No, 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 no. He did it, performed it, perfected it, and then said, you follow me and do it. I'll prove it to you. Jesus didn't have a family context, but he had 12 boneheaded dudes. That's worse than a family. If you got 12 smelly, stinky, boneheaded, fishermen, tax-collecting dudes, and you got to roll with them all the time. And Jesus takes them on this discipleship journey. And at the end of the journey, they're still messing it up. I mean, right before the journey ends, they get into fights and arguments about who's going to be number two and who's going to be number three. And they, I mean, it's just nuts. And so Jesus is seeing this and saying, okay, I've got one last shot here to get them to understand. And so he literally, he's gathered around about to take what we call the Lord's Supper. And he says, y'all sit down. And he gets a bucket and a towel. He takes off his outer garment, he he starts washing their feet, and they so don't know what to do in this moment. They are unnerved. Peter's ready to get up, and how dare you, you can't wash my feet, I'm not worthy, and whatever. He goes, you're missing it. This is the point, and I'm telling you, mutual submission is a principle that is true of every team, every company, every division within a company, every family, every dynamic, that if you got people that decided to unify together and to surrender their resources for the good of the whole, that's what makes a beautiful team, a beautiful family, a beautiful company, a beautiful, why? It's something that Jesus showed. So what he does, he takes these 12 disciples, he starts washing their feet. He, listen, he was the most powerful man in the room. He was the most powerful man in the world. And he had everything and he surrendered it and he gave it up so that they might see this model of mutual submission that I'm going to bring what I can bring to the table for the betterment of everybody else in the room. And Jesus modeled this idea. And so again, Peter and Paul are coming along saying, what does this look like inside of a family? It's mutual submission. Now, now here's the deal. Mutual submission speaks volumes. And this is what a couple of things that it speaks. Number one is this. What it speaks is, is I'm here for you regardless of your place in the family. So they're, they're, basically it's saying this. I know that there's a hierarchy and I know that there's different positions and the kids don't need to be running the house or anything like that. But regardless of where you're at, whether the youngest kid, the oldest kid, the middle kid, the middle, Marsha, 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 if you feel left out or if you're the wife that does two jobs, if you're, if you're the single parent, it, does, it doesn't matter. Regardless of your position, it says this, is I'm here for you and you are of no less value than me. Sometimes in a house, we get into this whole idea of like, who's better, who's more important? Well, I'm here, there's a pecking order and mutual submission starts throwing these ideas out the window. And then really, here's, I'm going to give you something that is so powerful. I'm going to give you a question that I want you to begin to ask. We're even going to practice it this week. Now, before I give you the question, you didn't put it up yet, did you? Good. Sometimes she's sneaking and gets ahead of me. There's going to be a temptation for you to discount and to discredit what I'm about to give you. Because you're going to say, Todd, that's too simple. That's too... If you wanted deep theological teaching, I'm telling you, you're going to be duped into maybe overlooking this and missing this huge, huge principle that could revolutionize your family. Do not diminish the simplicity of it because it is simply profound. Are you ready? This is the question that I all want us all to begin to ask. 
What can I do to help? What can I do to help? As a matter of fact, let's just all say it together. What can I do to help? Let's do it one more time. What can I do to help? Now, this is the question that embodies mutual submission. What can I do to help? So I, I know what it's like, because I know, guys, if, you, if, you, if you're like a 40, 50-hour-a-week guy, you just got home, you just got doing a long shift, and you come in, and, and you need to almost sit in the, in, the, in, the, in the driveway for a minute and take a deep breath and reset, but you need to reset everything and then be willing to come into the house and have this on your mind. What, what can I do to help? Whenever you leave, if you, before you're going out the door, sweetie, honey, I'm about to go. Are you good? Is there anything I can do for you? What can I do to help? When you think about this, I'm telling you this revolutionizes everything because it embodies the idea of mutual submission. It says, I've got time, resources, ability, strength, whatever it is. Is there anything that I can do to add value to what's going on with you? And I'm telling you, because here's the deal. If you're a kid out there and you live in your parents' home, I just want you to try this. I want you to like test me. Because here's what I know to be true, that if you will go home, and don't even wait, because so if you're a kid in here today and you're like, oh, they're just going to know that I'm doing what Todd told me, do it anyway. I promise it'll work. If you go to your parents just a couple times randomly, regularly throughout the day, you start doing this daily and regularly, and you just start asking them, hey, mama's going to go outside and play, but before I go, is there anything I can do? What can I do to help? Is there anything that I can do for you? I'm telling you what. Your father may have a heart attack. <laughs> Your mother will be speechless. If you do this, if you want the real goods, this is what you're doing. Wait until there's like a party or a gathering at your home or you're in a public venue where there are friends around. If you go to them when their friends are around and say, hey, dad, mom, I just went, I'm, I'm going to go do my own thing. But before I go, is there anything I can do to help? Are you? Oh, my gosh. I, my, son, my son's not in here. He's probably in a kid's classroom helping. That's good because he doesn't need to hear this again. Listen, listen, listen. I've told my son, that my, my son's 13 years old. I've told my son this. I said, look, if you will just do this for your mom, you'll run the house when I'm gone. You'll run the house because your mother is so putty in your hands when you've got this kind of attitude and you're like helpful and kind and like, hey, mom, I just, I'm telling you, you could run this joint and he won't, 13 they're not, they're, look, you're 13, you are not smart, okay? Just uh, embrace it. Uh, embrace. But I'm telling you, kids, you would revolutionize your home if you did this. You have no idea what it would do for you. I'm going to tell you, husbands, husbands, if you went and did this for your wives, they wouldn't even know what to do. So most of these wives in here, they're tired of asking you because every time they ask you, because you didn't offer to begin with, is they're frustrated because you, you, whenever they ask you to do something, it's, oh, yeah. Like bear noises come out of your mouth and grumbling and you're mean and like you're frustrating and like what, what they, and, and I, I, I'm telling you, it would just change everything. Wives, if you did this for your husbands, you, what, what is your husband going to say most of the time? No, I'm fine. Nothing. No, I'm fine. Nothing. Hey, anything I did? No, I'm fine. And they don't have anything to say anyway. They really just want to be left alone, especially if you have like multiple kids and they just want to be left alone anyway. No, just no, no. I'm telling you, and, and, and this would be so huge. Parents, if you have kids, listen, 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 listen. If you have kids, parents, I dare you to go ask your kids this question. Go to your kids and ask them, what can I do to help? What can I do? And the reason why this is so important for you, because the old, and you know this if you've got older kids, the older your kids get, 
many times the conversations that you have with your older kids, they're only negative. They're only painful. They're only like, oh, dear God, what did you do? Let me your report card. You missed school. You did this. You broke the dog. You know, you did whatever. And, and, and it's always negative. This right here keeps the conversation from always being, it doesn't always have to be negative. But if you're only conversing them when something goes bad or something's wrong or something's out of place or they've done something dumb again, then it's always going to be negative. And this takes that off the shelf. And I'm just telling you, this begins to revolutionize. This is the question that embodies mutual submission. And it's huge. I'm just telling you that if you would begin to consider other people first, that you would consider other people. Remember, he said, love your wives and consider them. So consider your wife first, consider your kids. Now, listen, I, I know there's a kickback and there's a couple different kickbacks. One of the ones that, that's a kickback is this. Well, Todd, if, if, if I do this, then, then all of a sudden I'm doing something for everybody else in the family and, and I'm getting taken advantage of. The other one is that if I do this for my kids in particular, then like, well, wait a minute. Well, who's the authority? Listen, you're still the authority. Like, I'll, I'll prove it to you. Jesus is the head of the church, right? Did him dying on a cross, him surrendering his life, remove him from being head of the church? No, no, no. It actually positioned him perfectly as head of the church. So if you're, if you're, if you're a dad out there and you, you, you feel like, hey, I'm the head of my home, great. You don't surrender that. You're not throwing authority out the window. What you're doing is, is you're just becoming a, become a servant in your home. It doesn't, you can be an incredible servant and be an authority at the same time. If you're a single mom or a single dad out there, you don't have to listen. I'm not telling you to bend over and do everything for your kids and give your kids everything with no boundaries, no rules. No, no I'm not, that's ridiculous. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that your mindset when it comes to the relationship Relational dynamic is what can I do to help? That's where it all begins. And again, the, the, the main one is, though, is the first one. The main one is, if I do this, Todd, because I know a bunch of you wives out there, you're like, oh, I already do this. And my husband takes advantage of me or my kids take advantage of me. And there's this, really what it comes down to is this, is we're afraid. The reason why we don't practice mutual submission, we're afraid. What if they take advantage of me? What if they run over me? Because, guys, I know what you're afraid of. You're like, Todd, if I do that to my wife, I will have a honey-do list that's 20 lines long. I'll be cleaning out gutters. I'll be pledging the cabinets. I'll be, dear Lord, Todd, do you know what I'll have to do? And the, uh, listen, here, here's the reality. The only reason the list is 20 long instead of three long is because you haven't been practicing mutual submission the rest of your life. But, but I'm telling you... It, I, what, what, it's, almost like, it's almost like this. The very thing that you want, which is an ideal family, the very thing that you want, which is to set up your family for success, to set up your kids for success, to set up the future for success, the very thing that you so desperately want, you're the one holding on to it. It's, remember remember the, 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 you know, Dorothy walking down the yellow brick road, and she's trying to figure out how to get home with that little dog, and she gets to the end, and do you remember what they told her? They're like, oh, well, you got them red slippers. And you had them the entire... That's what, the point I'm trying to make is this. The very thing that you need to get your home where you want it to be is already in your possession. 
It's already there. It's already yours. It's mutual submission. It's your ability to say, I'll leverage my resources, my time, my goods, my talents, my abilities for the better of this family. And I'm telling you, when you start doing this as parents and you start modeling this as parents, because remember, leadership and modeling go hand in hand. You cannot separate those two. You cannot demand something of other people and expect them to buy in when you yourself don't do it. And so mutual submission is the key here from the husband to the wife to the kids. And when we model this, I'm telling you, you end up embodying something incredible. And again, remember this, Ephesians 5, 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for who? So your fears, I get them, but I want you to push through those because you're not doing this for you. You're not even doing it for them. Ultimately, you're doing it for Christ. Because here's what you need to know. Not only did Christ model this through his life, but he exemplified this through his death. This was bigger than just a moment of washing feet. This was the embodiment of everything that he was. Watch this. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 is this. You see, at the right time, When he was right on time, for your sake, when we were still powerless, another translation would say helpless. So when you ask the question, what can I do to help? You need to know that ultimately in a bygone time, in a bygone dimension, that Jesus went to his father and at some point said, what can I do to help? And the father was like, you don't even want to know. It's, you, you, don't, you don't, don't ask that again. You don't want to know. No, 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 I want to know. I want to know. What can I do? Dad, I see the situation, Father. I see the, what can I do to help? Well, it's going to require you. You got to leave all this. You got to strip off majesty, glory, part of your divinity and power and omniscience. Remember that omniscience thing where you can be all, but you can't do that no more. Remember that all, all you, you can't, you, so you have to shrink down and you got to come as a baby and you got to go through puberty. It's terrible. You're going to have brothers and sisters. They're going to be obnoxious. You're going to have parents. They're going to lose you. Um, you're going to have people hate you and despise you. And then eventually you'll have them betray you, beat you within an inch of your life, and then hang you on a Roman stake. That'll be what it requires. And Jesus said, what can I do to help? Because you were powerless. And you were helpless. This is something that's so offensive about the gospel that I love. Is the, the offensiveness of the gospel is this, is you are not good enough. You don't have what it takes, and you couldn't get back to heaven if you tried. You couldn't be righteous if you wanted to be. You could try your entire life plus eternity, and you would still never measure up, and that's offensive to some of us. But it's the truth, because you are in yourself helpless or powerless. And Jesus says, what can I do to help? And so in that moment, Christ died for the ungodly. Next verse, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. I mean, like every once in a while, like somebody's so awesome, you know, secret service, I'll jump in, I'll take a bullet. And though a good person, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're a little bit down, maybe someone might possibly dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, meaning he demonstrated he did something. It required action and movement. It required somebody asking the question, what can I do to help? And then them actually responding. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, I'm telling you, this wasn't something that he just modeled in his life. This was the embodiment of his life. This was everything. 
It was the idea that the reason why we have life and redemption and forgiveness and all of it is because Jesus practiced mutual submission. He said, what can I do for you? What can I leverage for you? What time, resources, abilities, power, what can I do for you? And he leveraged it all. This was the embodiment of Jesus. So here's, here's my point. If you're out there today and you you don't even believe in God, that's okay, we love you, we're glad you're here. Here's what I would challenge you to do. Go home and ask this question anyway. Like, just go do it. Because if if you don't even believe in God, if you go do this, your home will be better. Your family will be better. Your marriage will be better. I'm telling you, it'll be awesome. Dudes, if you're out there and and you feel just, you're not gonna wanna say it. Just do it anyway. Even if it's like, what what do I have to do to help? What? What do I, what do I have to do? Just force yourself. Press through and do it anyway. Kids, even if you think that my, they just heard the sermon, Todd, I got to like wait and then like sneak it in. No, no, no. Just, just go do it. It doesn't, if we'll just start practicing, I promise you, you don't even have to believe in God. This will revolutionize your home. But for those of us in here who are Christ followers, it's non-negotiable. Why? Because it's the embodiment of who Jesus was. And if we're disciples of Jesus, then we're following in his path and we're following in his ways and we're following him. We've invited him into our hearts and into our lives to become more like Christ. And this was the whole point. The only reason we're here gathered today is because at some point in time, somebody practiced mutual submission and they gave up everything for the betterment of everybody else. And in your home, I'm telling you, if you want to revolutionize your home, it was not just about wives submitting to their husbands, although that's an application. It was about everyone surrendering what they had, their time, their power, their resources, everything they can, asking the question, what can they do to help? That was the overarching principle to the ideal family. Let's pray this morning. God, what a challenge. Um, it, it, it won't be easy. You'll catch yourself stumbling and falling and making mistakes and forgetting. But what I want you to do is just pick yourself up and dust yourself off and go at it again. I want you to ask the question, what can I do to help? Husbands, I want you to look at your wives and your kids and ask the question, what can I do to help? Wives, I want you to look at your husbands and say, what can I do? I want you to engage with your kids and ask the question, what can I do to help? Because I don't want everything to have to always be negative and always corrective and always complaining. And I, I want it to be better than that. There, there is something that we all want. We all want God's best for our lives. And the second thing that I know to be true is that we all want our kids to have something better than what we have. Both of those statements prove that there is an ideal beyond our real. And so God, help us. Help us to lean in. Help us to do it even when it's uncomfortable. God, help us to practice mutual submission. Not because we're great and not even because they always deserve it. But God, there is no doubt in my mind, it is out of reverence for you and what you have done for us. Lord, this is what we pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Can we give Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.